Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. And frankly, what's going on in the Middle East has become all of our business and really should be. Uh, Dr. Bob Arnott, uh, you know him. He uh, is a New York Times bestselling author. He is uh, truly a thought leader in public health. A journalist extraordinaire, having had work with NBC and CBS uh, as a medical editor, and I call him an all-around renaissance man. He's even a composer of great music. Uh, Bob, welcome back to the program. Always love having you on. Uh, you're, you're on regularly, but you kind of disappeared all of a sudden. We were looking on the side of milk cartons. We were looking on the side of milk cartons for, for you, uh, and, and sure enough, you know, I shouldn't have been at all surprised. You've been very busy uh, ever since the day uh, terrorists invaded Israel. So talk a little bit about that, and welcome to the show. Welcome back. Oh, listen, I'm really delighted to be back. I'm really looking forward to this. You know, I, I do think what's happening in Israel is really interesting because a lot of people are getting sucked down at the tactical level with name-calling and back and forth and whatnot, and I really think you have to take it out to the geopolitical level and look at it for what it really is. I don't think there's any... Um, doubt about why Hamas was in Moscow meeting with the Russian leadership there. You know, Moscow needs to be able to divert the United States away from Ukraine in terms of aid packages, ignition, manpower, whatnot. You know, they need some relief. And the easiest way to do that is to use their tightest and best ally, Iran, to be able to deflect. And so I think that people have to realize that, that that's what's happening. There's a wonderful article in the New York Times this morning, really about how Iran, you know, has, has tried to be a player and tried to be in combat and pushing out against its mortal enemies without ever having any battle on its own soil. Outside of the assassination of that general by Trump, there's been you know, there's almost nothing that's happening on Iran except for the Kurds. So what do they do? They use these militias. and. Let's just talk about three different militia groups that are active right now. They, they have the Houthis, of course, are in Yemen, and this is a, what we call a proxy war. You know, people yeah. are too polite to have a war on their own soil, so the Saudis and the Iranians don't have a war on their own soil, so they just have it, a battlefield. It's like an away game, right? In Yemen, a tragic away game with a terrible loss of life and destruction of what is really a wonderful country where I spent a lot of time. And you saw the other day that these Houthi rebels actually. Uh, we're shooting rockets towards Israel that the United States Navy took out of the air. And then you move and you take a look at Hamas. So I spent a lot of time in this. You know, I covered for MSNBC the second intifada. I was in Gaza. I was in Ramallah quite a bit. And there's uh, no question that you know, Hamas doesn't really care about the Palestinians. And the Palestinians haven't really liked Hamas. You know, Hamas is a political organization, you know, funded by Iran, trained by Iran, and, you know, with lots of dollars and munitions and rockets from Iran uh, at their beck and call. And so the tragedy is that every Palestinian that's killed is, in an odd sense, sort of a victory for Hamas. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, it's just... The, the, and so you have to understand that Hamas is not some you know, great bonded defender of the Palestinians. No, they, they are there as a uh, group that basically does what Iran wants it to. And then, of course, you have, unfortunately, to the north of Israel, then you have Hezbollah, which is another one of these groups. And then you have 
in Syria, yet other groups. And so Iran is able to keep its hands clean at home by keeping its hands dirty abroad with all these different forces. And that what is what's truly going on. Now, not that people haven't made mistakes. You know, I know Netanyahu pretty well. I used to be on a TV program, CBS this morning with him. I used to work out with him at the David Citadel Hotel. And there's a very good New York Times piece indicating that, in essence, you know, he had bet on sort of playing Hamas against the Palestinian Authority. And obviously, it did not work very well. Uh, you know, their intelligence obviously missed this. And, uh, you know, the, the idea that they could kind of stalemate any progress to a peaceful solution, whether it's two-state or otherwise with Palestinians, obviously it's inflamed tensions every which way. Then, of course, you come to the street level here in America. And, you know, my many Jewish friends feel terribly offended. They see, you know, so much of this is anti-Semitic. In Europe, they're increasingly fearful for their own lives. And on the other hand, you know, those that... Uh, you know, are sympathetic with the Palestinians. You know, they they would like to have some kind of a peaceful solution. They'd like to, you know, uh, perhaps have their own state and whatnot. And so, again, one can understand where they're coming from, both sides there. But don't get trapped into believing that, that this is Palestinian against Israeli. It is a macro geopolitical play by Iran in all likelihood with the coaching and backing of Russia to be able to take uh, us out of the mix more and more in Ukraine and for Iran to be able to uh, you know, push its agenda. Now, is there any hope in all of this? I mean, I'm always quite hopeful and I, I just, if the Saudis would only step back for a moment and say, look it, their mortal enemy, even though they're making more friends with them, is Iran. The best mm-hmm. protection mm-hmm. against the Shia threat out there, remember, Iran is a largely Shia country. You have a Shia leadership or, or a Shia-like leadership that is in Syria there. And you have our friends. You have, you have Jordan, you have Egypt, you have the Saudis, you have the Bahraini leadership uh, that is all Sunni. And so I think if we take a big look at this and we're able to convince the Saudis that it's a master play, then I think that they can become the guarantor they've talked about in the past of a peace settlement uh, in Israel uh, and really sort of back off of this terrible war because, you know, once wars start to become completely unpredictable, just don't know what's going to happen. You know, there could be one little dust up and serious example between ourselves and the Iranian uh, militias there, you know, a big loss of life. And then all of a sudden, or you have a big loss of life of IDF troops in, in Gaza. And then suddenly it becomes a bigger war with Iran, uh, where Iran has everything to, to lose because the Iranians will pound them, U.S. forces and all like it will pound them. You know, Russia will try to come as a guarantor. And as we saw with World War One, you know, you had, you had obviously the Archduke there, you know, took a wrong turn, gets assassinated. And then, of course, you know, Austria jumps into his defense. Germany jumps in to back Austria. The Serbs jump in, and the English, the French, and it becomes a world war. So these are very tricky situations, and I do very, think very tricky. Yeah, and by the way, on the on you know that example is a good example. You know, this was one where there was no uh, in World War One. Uh, you know, it was a Serbian anarchist, right? There wasn't even any government involvement. Uh, one government taking out another government leader. 
but this shows you how fragile these situations are. And when people hear what you describe of Shia versus Sunni, you know, is this like the difference between Baptists and Methodists? No, it's not like that to either party. It's more like the, the difference between true believers and complete infidels. Uh, in their eyes. And it goes back uh, to the, even the origins of uh, both of those groups that are very different over the authority of Islam. And so these are, you know, and, and when you start having that kind of religious fervor, you talk about the fog of war taken to a whole new level. It's just, and it's just fascinating. If you, if you love geopolitical politics and you love political science, it's it's just such a fascinating, amazing arena to be able to look at here. But the, the other part of this is, you know, in 1948, 67, 72, in the 80s, in Lebanon, you know, Italy has, I mean, Israel has this phenomenal, uh, you know, army, navy, and air force, you know, the best, obviously, in the Middle East. But I was with a Syrian general whose name is Manak Talas uh, before the civil war in Syria. And we were looking at the Golan Heights from Syria, right? And he was talking about his dream for peace. And I turned and I said, now your job, you're a tank commander. What do you do with tanks in the next war? He says, tanks in the next war in the Middle East will be of no benefit. It will all be asymmetrical warfare. It'll be every individual by the side of the road with a roadside bomb, an improvised explosive device, a rocket propel grenade, or an AK. And of course, what you're looking at now in Gaza is another one of these terrible urban warfares. You know, we saw urban warfare, obviously, in Stalingrad, uh, which led to the Nazi defeat, urban warfare in Paris with the partisans there, urban warfare where the Soviets came and just destroyed Berlin to take over in 1945. Grozny in 99, where the Russians won their urban warfare there by completely destroying the city. I mean, last cinder block there. And of course, then we were involved in urban warfare, and I was there, uh, you know, in Iraq. And the U.S. Marines uh, were, uh, you know, in mortal combat. It was a terrible situation. And again, it, it stops. So the Israelis, you know, lose their natural advantages of integrated warfare, of having, you know, rockets and airplanes and tanks and APCs and whatnot. They have to duke it out on the trenches there. We saw today that there were 15 IDF troops that were killed, you'd expect that that number will just escalate. It's going to be a very, very tough battle on both sides with a tremendous loss of life. And I think the biggest point, and you know, I don't want to get myself here politically, but there's no question that the tremendous number of Palestinians that have been killed here uh, is just, it's just wrong. You know, you have to be much more careful, much more judicious in warfare. When I was with the U.S. Army in Baghdad, uh, we would watch all these rockets come in, and they would just fire back. They would have to clear the airspace. They have to make sure there were no schools or children around. And many times they couldn't fire back. So just the idea that you have so many Palestinians being killed uh, by by rocket fire there, you know, you just have to be much, much more precise. You have to be much more surgical and much, much more careful. And I know that the administration is cautioning the Israelis about that loss of life. I mean, you know, lives count on both sides there. You know, they're valuable on both sides. And I just think that, you know, uh, the best group that I like is actually called Civic. Civic's a wonder group started by a, a friend of mine in, uh, in Iraq. And the idea was, look, militaries want to fight, 
should be like, you know, 300 years ago. They line up a field, they go off and they fight each other. But increasingly, you know, civilians uh, aren't just collateral. You know, they're killed as part of the strategy. And, of course, that was Hamas's strategy. Hamas, you know, didn't just go after military bases. The Israelis would have accepted that as a military target. But the fact that they went after this festival and, and that they beheaded this poor young Israeli girl. Unbelievable. Terrible what they've done there. So the whole, like, you know, the whole idea of civic is that starting back with the Boers, you know, the English killed, killed Boer women and children. The United States and the Philippines killed, you know, women and children. In you know, World War One and Two, the Germans killed women and children. We did, you know, we target civilian targets. Obviously, like Nagasaki and Hiroshima and, and Dresden and Leipzig and Berlin and whatnot. So I think the other big macro picture is that we really have to protect civilian life. You know, military yeah. against military, fine, but you got to be careful. We've got to wrap it up with that. We covered a lot. There's a lot more to cover. we got to get you back on sooner. Final thoughts, and i got about a, middle, uh, about a minute left, Bob. Well, I mean, I would really love that the Saudis look at this and we say this. You know, I, I always tell my kids, I tell, you know, survive in chaos and never look uh, and, and see every uh, crisis as an opportunity. And this is an opportunity to really pull our Middle Eastern partners together to pull Saudi Arabia away from Iran to look at a guaranteed peace out there and look at how you really, uh, you know, create a aid of peace. The best book in the Middle East, A Peace to End All Peace, about what happened in the 1918 peace talks, about the way the borders were all drawn up. Israel was given the wrong piece of land. It wasn't a big enough piece of land. It wasn't defendable. It was like, you know, cut with Swiss cheese. And so I think now is the time for us to work with our allies, look at the bigger threats of Iran and Russia, and come up with a solution of which Saudi Arabia and our partners, Egypt, Jordan, and the other Sunni countries participate. And UAE and Bahrain. Yeah. Yeah, and all that is in the mutual interest of all those parties because in the end, you're never going to be able to trust the Iranians to do the right thing. And so um, very, very grateful as always to have you on. Got to get you back on soon. This uh, war, I'm afraid, isn't going to go away real quick. I'm pretty sure of that. And so we need to visit again soon. And, and other things that we like to talk about as well. Dr. Bob Arnott, always love having you on the program. I am Kevin Price. This is the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show.